Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. So last week we played a game and it was, uh, can you recognize G.I. Joe, He-Man, or Transformers just from the name? And then you had to guess uh, if it was He-Man, like some character traits, if it was G.I. Joe, what his job was, if it was Transformer, what kind of vehicle it was. In the G.I. Joe group, one of the jobs was bio-artillery. And I realized there was never an explanation of what bio-artillery was. Because if you take bio, that's biological matter or something like that. And artillery is shooting stuff basically over a really long distance. And my first thought is, does this guy shoot pigs out of like a giant bazooka thing? Or is this like a catapult or a trebuchet? And he's put like a cow in it, like in Monty Python, and he's shooting the cow over? Because that is the only thing I can think of for bio-artillery. Unless this is a transportation system we haven't thought of. Like, do they put someone in a tube and shoot them in a really, really far because it's like faster than supersonic speed? I'm pretty sure that would kill the person in the capsule anyways. So this technology better be pretty freaking perfect. But what is bioartillery? Bioartillery is not a thing, is it? If anyone knows if bioartillery is a real thing, can you please let me know what that is? Because I have no idea. I'm just totally fixated on the idea of all the G.I. Joes running around shooting lasers because it was always blue lasers one way and Cobra shooting red lasers the other way. And then suddenly a pig flies through the screen and that's the bioartillery guy. I mean, cool moment, but weird. So core question, how long could a black belt last against a professional soldier in hand-to-hand combat? Now there are a couple of problems with this question because the first point is a black belt in what? A black belt is not just a general thing. Because in previous episodes, I have actually talked about the efficacy of different martial arts. Some martial arts are better designed for actual combat in real life, and some are designed to be sports where people don't actually get hurt. So a black belt in one of those effective martial arts is going to be more effective in a real fight than someone who isn't because they haven't actually practiced some of those real-world application skills that you would actually need to finish a fight in this manner. So then the secondary question is, the professional soldier. How good is he and how good is the training? Because professional soldier, to be honest, all soldiers are professional. If they're a real soldier, they're probably employed by a government and that government's paying them. So you're all, they're all professional soldiers. But that actually, again, gives quite a range because you have engineers, computer technicians, administrators, and whatnot, mechanics, in the army, in the military, and they are professional soldiers. Now, they might be adequate at hand-to-hand combat, but it might not be the skill they practice, so they're not going to be anywhere near the same level. 
But then you have people who are in combat roles who maybe do very little else other than practice combat. So I assume they would be highly skilled. So the generalized nature of the question is already making it difficult to answer because my first thought as a black belt myself is that there are different levels of black belt. I went to the club last night. I was practicing judo with my club. I fought one guy and he was a black belt and he was terrible compared to me. And there was another guy on the other side of the room who I was going to fight later that night. And he was amazing. And I was terrible compared to him because he was on the Japanese national team, whereas the guy who I'd fought previously, who wasn't very good, was just a hobbyist. So we all three were black belts, but within the black belt concept, there is a range. So I think the first thing you need to understand is a black belt doesn't really mean much because the first black belt you get in almost every martial art is a demonstration that you have mastered the basics. And that is something that people misunderstand. They stop at the mastered part. Like you have now learned everything you need to know. You are now the perfect martial artist. You have had your hands registered with the police as lethal weapons. That is very, very much not the case. Lots and lots of black belts are hobbyists and enthusiasts who couldn't do anything in a real fight. And lots of black belts in the world are just hardened killers who would break you down into little pieces without even thinking about it. Now, there are significant martial arts where they have no belt systems. So you have MMA. They don't have belts in MMA. You just practice. So this is a theoretical question that if you take a moment to even break down any element of it, can't be answered. So I think what you would want to say is a high-level black belt in a specific martial art versus a professional soldier, but you'd actually have to have a sense of their training. Now, my belief is that professional soldiers probably focus more on equipment like guns. So they would be far, far more adept at guns than they would be at hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now, that's not to say they're bad, but I would just say they rely more on guns. They use guns more in real-life situations, so they're probably way better at guns. Whereas the black belt in non-specific martial art, apparently, is spending all their time practicing in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So if you were going to equalize the two entities, I would put my money on the black belt. But I don't think that's a fair assessment of actual skills because you're only talking about really what one person is trained in more. So of course they're going to have an advantage. Now the element that maybe is missing is the psychology because professional soldiers who have been trained for combat scenarios have been trained to kill, whereas most black belts have been trained to not kill people. They're actually trained to for on a point system or they're trained to get close to that point and then stop. Now, that might be the deciding factor, but you're never really going to know. But I think that the real world application of the soldier is such that the reliance on tools and equipment more than actual hand-to-hand -hand combat skills is important enough that that's where they would focus more and so they would not have an advantage. But again, it doesn't, none of that really matters because what you would actually be speaking to is the two individuals, not necessarily the things they train in as a concept. Because I know I've talked about that, before. probably in the first 50 episodes I talked about that. I did talk about Aikido two episodes ago. The person who's asking this question doesn't really know what a black belt is. They don't really understand the range of skills that are falling under the black belt umbrella. 
And they also haven't really clarified what they mean by professional soldier because pretty much all soldiers are professional and they have a variety of skill sets and focuses that they would actually be training on all the time. So the real answer is you need to start training yourself on how to ask better, more specific questions. Otherwise, you're not going to get real answers. Quora question, why didn't Donald Trump use any of his art of the deal tactics in his argument with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? This is a pretty good question. And it seems like the whole premise of Donald Trump from Donald Trump is that he's really good at making deals, but we haven't actually seen that in action. What he said is that he's a really good businessman and he makes lots of deals. And that's how he has amassed his fortune. But we have not seen a lot of that come to practice because the whole point of deals is that you bring the other people to the table and you sit down and you, ha you negotiate and that is how you get things done. But I think in general, even Americans would agree, it seems like not a lot of deals are getting done under this administration. Now, here's the secret as to why he, Donald Trump, didn't use any of his art of the deal tactics. It's because he has not even read the book. It's pretty clear that the man doesn't read. And so if the man doesn't read, it's an impossibility that he sat down and wrote a whole book. So the fact that it was ghostwritten, I don't think that's a significant surprise. I think everyone would understand that it was ghostwritten. If you said that he sat down and gave someone else all the ideas and someone else wrote it up, that would actually be acceptable because they were his ideas. But as we've seen, he does not apply any of the ideas that are in the book. I haven't read the book, so I actually don't know what ideas are in there but I'm assuming it's pretty standard business stuff. Like you have to get people to agree. You have to get people to like each other. You have to get people to actually talk. These are all failures of Donald Trump in his actions. He insults people. He doesn't make them want to work with him. Even if you're a Donald Trump fan, you would have to agree that the way he speaks about his opponents is so negative, it doesn't make them want to work with him. Nancy Pelosi is going to get more credit from her crowd, from the Democrats, by taking a stand against Donald Trump than actually working with him. He is failing constantly at his ability to actually make deals with people who oppose him. Not only has he not read the book, I don't think he knows what's in the book in the first place. And that would be my explanation as to why didn't Donald Trump use any of his art of the deal tactics. It's because they're not his art of the deal tactics and I don't believe he's even read the content of the text. In a previous episode, I did tell you a story about Loki. And so Loki, we all know Loki from the Avengers movies, but he's not quite as interesting or funny as he is in those movies as he actually is in the actual stories that come from Norse mythology. The story I told you about previously was about him tying his testicles to a goat to try to make a giantess laugh. So there were three things had to be done, and one of them was to make this giant laugh. So he, did, so he tied his balls to a goat, for some reason, and that made her laugh. And I had to admit that if I wasn't ready for it and I saw that, that would make me laugh too. I think it's the shocking nature of it, regardless of whether it's actually, it's pretty lowbrow humor, but it, I think if anyone saw that just all of a sudden, see, I'm still laughing now because I'm thinking about Loki's balls tied to a goat. Because there's two ways it could have gone. It could have been tied in the front and he's like pulling against the goat, or he could have actually like put the rope through his legs and he's trying to pull away from the goat. Either one... It's pretty visually interesting. So I have read a couple more stories about Loki, and I would share those because it's, it shows kind of the weird world that the Norse gods live in. 
And so there was this guy, and I'm not going to be able to say his name, Svadi Lafari. Now this was a giant, and he was building a wall, which is appropriate for our modern political climate. He's building a wall for the gods, but at the same time he was a giant, and the giant and the gods don't like giants because they've killed off most of them. So they really want to get rid of this guy. Loki says, "I'll get rid of him." So what he's going to do is he's going to he's going to distract Svad by luring away his horse. So the horse goes, oh my God, where's my horse? I'm going to run, run after my horse. So you think that's a pretty simple plan. I'm going to lure him away. He's going to disappear, maybe get lost, maybe kill him. I don't know what, what the second part of the plan was because Loki got distracted. And the thing is, the way he lured away the horse was he turned into a sexy horse lady, otherwise known as a mare. And that's how he lured the horse away. He's like, hey, look at me. I'm, I guess booksome isn't the word. Anyways, I have a fine rump that appeals to the male horse. And the horse chases him. The problem is, Loki ends up in sexual relations with the horse. And because he's turned himself into a sexy lady horse, he actually gets pregnant. And then he has an eight-legged horse baby called Slepner. There is an element to this story where they skip over something, which is the bit I would actually like them to explain. Because... How did Loki give birth to the horse? There are two options. One, he remained a horse, a female lady horse, for the entire period of the pregnancy. Now, because he's a god, maybe pregnancies happen really quick. Because, you know, like, a lot of mythologies, they just, like, pull another being out of their head or their side or something. Like, it just sort of happens, and it's almost instantaneous. But, if this is a traditional pregnancy... Now, horses are pregnant 11 to 12 months. I know that because I just checked on the internet. So did Loki remain in horse form for a year, or could he change back and forth and still you sort of maintain the horse embryo within him? If he changed from a horse lady into a human man, was he able to maintain the area for the baby horse? Was he able to do sort of human things in human form while remaining pregnant with a horse? Uh, was he oddly shaped if he went back to human form? That's, these are all questions I would like to answer. I know this is mythology, so they just didn't bother. They just sort of skim over a lot of these details. But I think if you went into detail, any, into any sort of mythology, you're going to have a lot of great questions that need to be answered. And answering those questions is always the fun part. I mean, this podcast, if it's about anything, it's about asking questions. So let's say, to me, logically, he has to remain as a horse until the pregnancy is finished. He remains a horse for a year and then has a baby horse, the eight-legged baby horse, Slepner. Why does the baby horse have eight legs? Now, I know in Norse mythology, it's because it now has twice as many legs. It could probably run twice as fast, some logic like that. That isn't how it works. This is basically like a spider or octopus horse or something that we got going on. And there were no other elements to make that happen. So the giant's horse, which may have been a giant horse. I don't actually know that. But the giant's horse was just a regular horse. Maybe it was giant, but it was just a horse. Loki was a female horse. So there's no reason for the baby to come out with more legs. Unless, I guess, there is the god element. But I don't see how that translates into more legs. You think you would get a normal-looking horse that has superpowers of some sort. Or, 
This could be the origin of centaurs, and anyone who's listened to the podcast all the way through from the very beginning to now knows that I hit on centaurs really regularly because, holy crap, centaurs don't make sense. Uh, and my friend Sean sent me an image that will be an episode later because it has given me so much to think about. There are so many, so many questions to be answered about centaurs. They just don't make sense. Centaurs don't make sense. All right, that's not what we're talking about. Why does this horse have eight legs is sort of the question that needs to be answered that we can't answer because we have to go back and find the person who actually made up Norse mythology. And I have, sorry, it is made up just like almost every religious story. But eight legs, it just doesn't make sense. I don't see how that's better. It actually seems like it would fall over its own legs. And where are the legs spaced? Do you have four in the back and four in the front? Do you have sort of like big trucks? They like have the inside wheel and the outside wheel. So you have inside leg and outside leg and they kind of work together. Because it seems like it would be harder to fit on the horse unless you change the shape of a horse, made it longer or wider or something. And then I had my great idea, which was the cartoony one, where you have a leg that goes up and a leg that goes down and they spin. And that's how they make it go faster. But I think there needs to be some explaining done here because the giant horse baby with eight legs, it just doesn't make logical sense as a leap from A to B. Now, understandably the people who were talking about these things didn't have a great grasp on evolutionary theory because this was pre that time. But still, at that point, they'd never seen an eight-legged horse. So it didn't make sense as to why an eight-legged horse would somehow be better than a regular four-legged horse. I guess just doubling the amount of something seems like a good idea when you don't understand evolutionary theory. It's just if you were going to make the horse better in a way that would make sense to you, a regular individual walking around in the street. I don't think doubling the amount of legs so that it looks really weird is the best way to go. Like, make it bigger. You know, have it just turn on fire or something. That would be sort of sensible, just a regular horse that could do unusual things. There's no reason to make it look like a spider. Because that's like having a horse with suddenly, like, spider eyes. It, maybe it is able to see better and stuff, but still, for us as regular human beings, this would creep you out. Now, this was not the first time Loki had kids or Loki had babies. The next story, there is now that we know that Loki is capable of having children. So I know Loki is traditionally depicted as a male, but I guess as a god, it doesn't really matter. You can kind of be whatever you want. So this is an interesting aspect for uh, all the pansexuals out there, that the Norse gods seem to have the attributes uh, way back when that you might actually talk about now. This isn't about gender politics, something that I'm not you know, particularly versed in. But there is a guess there that perhaps the concept of the Norse gods is actually sort of pansexual across the board. Because they can be male, they can be female, and it depends what day and it depends how, and they can actually do. If I am a female god in the moment... I have all the female functionality. I can have babies. If I'm a male god, I assume I have... Well, there's, you can make semen in bad decisions. This isn't the only time that Loki has had kids. So he also slept with a giantess. There's a lot of interaction with the giants that the Norse gods hated so much. And that is also a side point. It's very interesting. So Loki had sex with a giantess called Angerboda. This calls into another question. because they keep calling them giants. And I think they might be like the idea of the titans from Greek mythology. Are the giants bigger than the Norse gods? Since Loki has the ability to change himself into a horse, probably has the ability to change himself into a giant-sized person as well. So that's actually not even controversial. That just could be done. He did have sex with this giant, 
and it's sort of a, I don't know if it's a Romeo Juliet situation where this was like a that kind of forbidden love, you know, because she's a giant and he's a Norse god, so they hate each other so much. But then, of course, that actually springs into passion. There are not a lot of details in these stories, so you have to fill in a lot of blanks yourself. But there were three children produced by this union. The interesting thing to me, I read this story right after I read the other story about him turning into a horse and having a baby. So my first question is who had the babies? It doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other anymore. So they had sexual intercourse with each other. So I find this an interesting concept because who birthed the kids isn't stated clearly. I think there's an underlying assumption that because the giant was a woman, the giant gave birth to the kids. But again, our previous story has demonstrated that's not necessarily how it works. It doesn't have to work that way. So again, the combination of a Norse god and a giant have led to some interesting results. You didn't just have three big Norse god babies. What was actually given birth to was a snake, a wolf, and a girl. If I understand biology correctly, the snakes tend to be born from eggs. Wolves and humans, or human-shaped things, are sort of given birth directly from the body. So the question now is, did the egg come out first and then the two other babies remained in whoever was birthing them? Was the egg in there with them and then the egg was hatched in the womb and then the snake came out? Did they all... Like, okay, there's, there's this weird combinations again where they weren't really thinking through the story. They just said, oh, we want three weird things to come out as babies. Like a lot of mythology, it seems like they came out fully formed. Like it seems like they were able to talk or function as adults, almost instantly, which makes sense for a snake and a wolf more so than a human, because we understand how babies work. Snakes are basically off the starting line, ready to go, start doing the snake things. Wolves, they have some growth time, but it's minimal compared to a human. And we have our half Norse god, half giant, who should have come out a baby. But it sounds like this came out as a whole thing, and that was done. So... This is really sort of maybe a fast forward where, again, they don't want to get into the details. Uh, this is maybe be a montage in the film, sort of a growth of the three beings growing up together, maybe enjoying some, some youthful games and getting into some mischief and getting into trouble together, having an argument or two, going their own ways and realizing that, yes, my brother, the wolf, and my sister, the snake, were not so different after all. But the human that was born from the waist up was a normal-looking human being, and from the waist down was dead. Now, th again, they're not really clear on what that means. So, like, zombie legs, or some kind of... or no blood flow, or something like that. But, fully functional, able to move around and do things, but the... clearly, skin looked different. And that leads me to my next set of questions, which is, was it just a line? Like, it was it weight, uh, feet to waist, and then there's, like, sort of a belt? And then from the belt up is completely normal skin, like sort of, let's even say nice skin. So this young lady's name was Hel, H-E-L. And she became, quite appropriately, ruler of the underworld. So it's almost like she was born into that job, born into that position. Or she was born for that position, because this isn't nepotism, this is more uh, destiny. But there are a lot of questions, again, so I just go back to how is the combination of Norse god and giant end up with snake, wolf, half-human, half-zombie? Because I get there might not have been a lot of mixing of different races or different peoples or different animals back then. 
because the availability just wasn't there. But how do you get it into your head that God A, the formula that God plus giant equals snake plus wolf plus half zombie person? Because in my mind, the person who was telling this story was drunk at the time and just kept going. Because this is the kind of story I might tell when I was drunk, when I get really wrecked, and I'm just going and going and going. And I've lost track of my own story, but I decide that it's worth finishing anyways. So that'll tell you right now whether or not you want to hang out with me when I've had a couple cocktails. But that is really, really a point far beyond. Because as far as being drunk goes, I'm more of a quiet... I, I tend to get drunk and then get pretty quiet. Of course, I also tend to spend all my time alone. That might factor into it. What I've learned from these stories about Loki is that he's got some really interesting genetic properties that need to be explored more thoroughly. I don't expect them to be explored in the Avengers mythology. That is not the appropriate place. But if someone wants to write some fan fiction or if someone wants to come up with a theory, I am on board. I would like to hear some of this because why we get a combination of eight-legged horse snake, wolf, half-zombie as children are some questions I would really be interested in having answers to. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast. Modern, our modern political, our modern political climate. Loki would have had to remain a horse for, let's say, nine months. Because it's, uh, I don't know how long horses are pregnant. Oh, I gotta check now.